0: I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge something, and I don't know if you're like me, but it's hard to believe that we're already one month into 2023. Anybody else there like me? Maybe maybe it's just the fact that I'm getting older, and so it seems like time is flying, but it seems to me right before you know it, it's going to be Easter, and then after Easter, summer's going to be here, and after summer comes, it's going to be Christmas, right? It just seems like time is already flying. Here's what I would say to each and every one of you, all right? Take a moment to enjoy every day. Okay, Every day is a blessing and it's a gift of God, and so make sure that you're rejoicing in each and every day. And if they are flying by, that's okay, but let's make sure that we make the most of them because every day is a day that the Lord has given us, right? All right, now with that said, let's begin to turn our attention to the Scriptures. In fact, since this is the beginning of February, we felt a great topic for us to look at during this month is the topic of love. It will soon be Valentine's Day and the topic of love will be on everyone's mind. And for some, the thought of love will bring great feelings because you've been blessed to experience a relationship where you think you have uh, what the world celebrates, right? You've got that one in your life that you can love and the world says that's exactly what you need and so it's kind of a time that you celebrate. Now, there are others here this morning that maybe when you think about Valentine's Day in love, you're a little depressed, because maybe somehow you haven't found that one or you haven't found what the world says you need and so somehow you feel like you're missing out on something, all right? You feel like you're missing out because society says this is what you need. However, what I want us to do over these next few weeks at look at love that is greater than the love that we look at on Valentine's Day because I'll say this, Valentine's Day love is often a shallow love. It can be a love that quickly fades, As the title of our series says, we want love redeemed, which means we want to recapture love as God designed it from the beginning. The love of Valentine's Day is often nothing more than a momentary feeling that fades as quickly as the flowers that some will get, while the love as God designed it is a love that never ends. Now, what is this love that I want us to look at especially today? It is the everlasting love of God. The scriptures are very clear about something. If you want to know what true love is, you look to God. In fact, some of you are familiar with this verse in 1 John 4, 8 that says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is Love, right? God truly is love, so to know love, I have to know God. Now, please, though, don't take that verse to where some people do and simply make God the equivalent of some mystical concept that embraces everything and then call it love. That is not what it means when it says God is love. There is no doubt that love is one of the characteristics of God, but God is much more than a mystical concept. He is the one true holy God who is perfect in every way. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things, and he is the one who shows us what truly love looks like. As the one true perfect God, he loves his creation. And how much does he love his creation? Listen to these words that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah to a disobedient people in Jeremiah 31.3. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. God's love for us is not dependent upon who we are or what we do. God's love is an everlasting love and he is faithful to us even, hear me, when we are not faithful to him. Every one of us needs to be thankful for that, do we not? Here's what it reminds me a little bit of. It reminds me of my love for the Dallas Cowboys. I can mention the Super Bowls next week. They're not in it, by the way, if you didn't know, okay? Uh, somewhere in my childhood, something happened that developed a deep love for the Dallas Cowboys. I think part of it was that Roger Staubach and Tony Dorsett, man, they were just great athletes. And not on top of that, that they were coached by Tom Landry, a man who was, had great class and who was a committed and outspoken Christian. Those things made me, in my childhood, love the Dallas Cowboys. However, over the last two decades, the team has been bad. Where's all my other Cowboy fans saying amen? Yeah, right? The Dallas Cowboys have been, been bad. The ownership has been bad. There's been a, you know, things that they've done that just make me want to pull my hair out. And over the last few years, honestly, I've been trying to not like the Dallas Cowboys. I've been trying to say, I have got to get me a new team. But you know what? I cannot, for some reason, stop loving the Dallas Cowboys no matter how bad they disappoint me. In fact, even my little grandda- granddaughter says, go boys. You got to start teaching them when they're young, right? Okay. However, God's love for us, let me say this. God's love for us makes my love for the Dallas Cowboys seem shallow. All right. For God has loved me and you through a lot more junk and serious stuff than what the Dallas Cowboys has made me love them through. God's love is truly an amazing, everlasting love. And I want to explore this a little further in our text today, found in Romans chapter eight. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter eight. Now, Kim did a great job earlier reading through the first part of Romans eight as we began our time of worship. And reading that is important because here's what those verses did. It sets up what we're gonna look at this morning as I start in verse 31. Look at what Paul writes in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? See, see, Paul in this verse, he's pointing us back to the things that he shared at the start of this chapter. I mean, the chapter started by saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's something that should make every one of us happy. Amen. Right. But this truth is really grounded in what he goes on to say, which is this, is that in Christ we have life. When sin, which does bring condemnation, had left us dead, Jesus came to bring us forgiveness and life and with it the freedom from condemnation. Paul builds upon that when he shares that when one is made alive in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit leads us in life to live for God to the point that when you live for God, you are an heir of God and you're able to cry out to him as your Abba. That is your father or maybe more accurately said you cry out to him as your daddy. You can know you are a child of God when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit of God. And with that, you gain a great promise. You have a future glory awaiting to you to the point that no matter what happens in this world, you can have hope, right? And then you gain the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, that help you in your weaknesses. Now, I know I summarized those verses quickly and briefly, but doesn't all that make you wanna shout? It should, in fact, you know, the fact that we have forgiveness and life, the fact that you can have, call God your father, the fact that you have the promise of a future glory, the promise of the Holy Spirit to help you in your weaknesses, all of that is exciting. In fact, maybe later today, let me challenge you to do something. Go back and read all of chapter eight again. And as you read it, take your time to meditate on those verses and understand what it truly means if you grasp what Paul has written in this chapter. Now, Paul, after stating all these amazing things, Ask a couple of questions for us to ponder in light of all he said. Look at these two questions in verse 31 again. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The first question really just asks us to consider how amazing the truths he just stated are. It's almost as if Paul was saying, these things are so great, I am speechless, or at least overwhelmed with the greatness of these truths. In fact, let's imagine something. Let's imagine one day somebody comes and says, I have created a cure for all cancers, and then lays it out, and it's very clear that the cure is there. It's very evident that cancer can be cured. It's there. How would you respond to that? I guarantee in this room, because most lives have been touched at some point in time with cancer, you would stand back and be amazed. You'd be speechless. There is nothing you really could say other than wow or praise the Lord or something, right? You would just be amazed that that was happening, right? Well, that is probably the reaction that Paul anticipates here. He, he's made these points and he wants us to stand back and say, wow, I mean, God really loves us like that. Wow, all that is really available to me through Jesus Christ. He wants us to understand all that and be amazed, Then he wants us to understand the main truth of what is being said, and so he asks us another question to make his point. If God is for us, who can be against us? What is the response that Paul is wanting? Y'all awake this morning? If God is for us, who can be against us? No one, right? If God is for us, no one can be against us. In other words, Paul is wanting it clear that God is on our side. In fact, let me just put it to you this way. Here's how I want to state it, that Paul is saying emphatically that God loves us. All right, thank you, Robbie. I appreciate that, right? Got one. I, I don't know how you respond when you hear Paul's question or when you hear the way that I've stated it, that saying God loves us. Here's my question. There's probably various responses this morning. All right. There's some of you may want to push back on what I said because you feel this morning that, that God is not for you and that God doesn't love you. You have your reasons for feeling that way. Maybe life has been rough for you or you've had your prayers go unanswered. And because of those things, you wonder whether God loves you. In fact, some may go as far this morning as wondering if there really is a God. I can assure you if either of these is your reaction, you're in good company. Most people here and even those listening online this morning at some time or another has wondered if God really loves them and many has also had those moments where they wondered if God is real. Those are natural feelings because we are often driven by the emotion of the moment and many times in the moments we have those times where we doubt God's love or we even doubt God's existence. Now, as we continue to read what Paul wrote, though, hopefully we can remove those doubts as Paul gets to the heart of the matter with these next words, because look at what he wrote in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here in another question, Paul is really using to make a statement, and the statement is essentially this, that God loves us and Jesus proves it. Paul here is not looking forward to what has come. He is not even looking in the present about what is. He is looking back and saying, here is what has happened, so here is what we know. What has happened? God gave his son, Jesus, to die for you and me. He's pointing us back to John 3, 16. I know I've quoted it a couple times over in the last few weeks, but I'm gonna do it again because it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, no Bible verse is clear that reminds us of the fact that God loves us and that love motivated him to send Jesus to save us. He knew that we could not save ourselves from sin and that we needed to be rescued. And so out of love, God acted and his action was sending Jesus to die in our place. John also made it clear in his letter, we call 1 John and it's interesting enough, it's also 1 John three 16. I've always, always found that intriguing where it says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. You see, these two verses do not just make a theological statement, but they serve as proof. They serve as proof of God's love for us. Yes, we can say theologically these verses tell us how we can be saved and the means to salvation. Yes, we can say these verses tell us how we can know what love is, but more than that, they ask us to look at what Jesus did and find the evidence that we need to know that God loves us. I want to say to you today, God loves you. Jesus proves he loves you. In a few days, some of you might have a tendency to judge whether you are loved by whether you get Hershey's or whether you get Lindor truffles. Or maybe by whether you get carnations versus roses. Or some maybe whether you get White Castle or Ruth's Chris. (laughs) But, But can you really measure love by those things? Absolutely not. Sometimes you will not get one over the other because of cost. I'm going to tell you this. Kim will not get from me White Castle, right? First of all, because she won't let me eat White Castle, all right? But I'm also going to tell you she's also not going to get Ruth's Chris from me because I'm not going to pay that kind of money to eat. Not going to happen. Now, that doesn't mean I don't love her. It simply means I will show her my love in more practical ways. In fact, I'm more apt to do something for her than I am to buy anything for her because buying things don't necessarily mean I love you, okay? But don't take that to mean don't buy something over Valentine's Day because I might be in trouble from a lot of women here today if their husbands don't buy them something, right? So that's not necessarily what I'm saying. In fact, God gave a gift. God proved he loved us by sending Jesus, and that is not only all the proof we need, hear me, It is also the highest demonstration of love possible because what can be greater than one giving his life for you? Nothing. And Jesus doing the will of the Father gave his life for you and me and in that act, God proved he loved us. Now I believe if I stop right here in this message, we can all rejoice and say God truly is great. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. If God sent Jesus to die for my sin, then surely he will graciously give me all things. He will absolutely give me the right things. Knowing the proof of God's love is all we should need to be excited and rejoice, but Paul is not finished because he goes on to say, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Jesus Christ, the one who died, more than that, who raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. In a way, we look back and say, God showed his love by Jesus dying for us. But then we can follow that up by saying in the present, God loves us and Jesus intercedes. You see, God didn't say, you have eternal life and now I'm done with you, right? He didn't say, oh, there's eternal life, now I'm done with you. No, God is actively involved in our lives and Jesus, catch this, Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Now, I know that at the core, the interceding that Jesus is doing for us is interceding for our salvation. When Jesus is standing at the right hand of God, we can get the picture of God on his throne, a holy God who one day we will all stand in front of and be judged. When Paul asked the question, who shall bring a charge or who is to condemn, we would all have to say this, that there are many people that could bring a charge against us. Many people who could condemn us. I'm not wrong, am I? No, We all have people who we've hurt in one way or another. We've all done things wrong that if others knew, we would be embarrassed about. Therefore, if we were standing before God today, there would be plenty in our lives that we could be charged with. There'd be things like lying and lust and rudeness and gossip and hatred and unforgiveness, impatience, stealing, drunkenness, and we could go on. I'm not gonna go on, but we all have plenty of stuff that before a holy God we could be condemned for and have a charge brought against us. However, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, the ones that Paul referred to here as God's elect, Jesus intercedes and he says this to the Father, they are not guilty. Why? Because Jesus paid for their sin. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the what? righteousness of God catch this Jesus is interceding for those who are believers before the father and and, and declaring them not only not guilty he is declaring them righteous you hear me not only declaring them not guilty he is declaring them righteous now does that make a difference in our lives I mean, mean, it should, right? It should make a huge difference that Jesus declares us righteous. In fact, in my study this week, I ran across a statement about this text from J.D. Greer. Some of you know, he's one of my favorite preachers, so I quote him often. I'm sorry. I just think he's a great preacher, right? But here's a statement that he made, and I thought, man, it goes perfectly right here. Your identity is established by what the most important person in your life thinks about you. If that person is you or someone else whose opinion you live for or a group of people, you will always struggle with feelings of guilt or disapproval no matter what God says. You need to reestablish God as the most important person in your life. All right? And when you do, man, I say amen because when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, again, you can know that he is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and declaring you righteous and that should help you view yourself differently no matter what people say about you so that you can live with confidence, purpose, and hope. In fact, let God say who you are, not let the world say who you are, right? I also, though, want to say this, Jesus not only intercedes to declare you righteous, He is interceding to help you daily. Hebrews 4 reminds us of this. One of these verses I shared a few weeks ago during our prayer time, but let's remember what we're told about Jesus in this passage of Hebrews 4. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, maybe some of you today say, God doesn't understand my struggle. According to this, Jesus understands any struggle you have. Do you struggle with lust? Jesus was tempted that way. You struggle with pride? Jesus was tempted that way. You struggle with greed? Jesus was tempted that way. See, we we often don't think about Jesus being tempted, but Hebrew says that Jesus was tempted in every respect that we were tempted. Every respect that we were tempted. The difference, he did not sin and give in. However, he sympathizes with our weaknesses so that we can go boldly to him in prayer and know that we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Maybe we can envision Jesus standing next to the Father, hearing the prayers of his people for help. And Jesus saying to the Father, I understand the struggle, I understand how hard it is to do what's right, and in doing so, saying to the father, father, I hear their prayer, I understand the struggle. Father, let me tell you what they need. And there Jesus interceding for you helps the father as they then come and they meet you at your point of need. Now, as we think about Jesus interceding, let's look back and be reminded of a few things, though, because I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is interceding for you, and then anything you ask for him, you're going to get, because that's just not true. In fact, look back a few verses where it says this in Romans verse uh, verse 26 of 8. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for look at this, for we do not even know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In reality, you know what? Here's a reality. Let's face this reality. You and I don't even know what to ask God for. Did you are you aware of that? We don't even know what to ask I wonder if here's anyone ever prayed to win a lottery or the publisher's clearing house and didn't win. Don't raise your hand out okay? I wonder if maybe you did that and the Spirit said, that's not really what they need, and he interceded with a better prayer. Or I wonder how many here have prayed and opened for, or prayed for an open door of opportunity that never came. Most of us probably, right? I wonder if you prayed that prayer and the Spirit said, they don't know what they're asking for, here's what they really need, and then opened another door. You ever think about that? I can tell you today that I'm thankful that I can take my prayers to the Lord and know this, that when I don't even really know how or what to pray for, there's intercession for me so that my prayer is making it to the Father correctly. I am also glad today that I can know that my prayers are answered appropriately. If God went to the trouble of having Jesus die for us, why would he not then take care of us? He will, and he will answer our prayers correctly because we can be confident in God's love for us and Jesus interceding for us. We don't have to be anxious. Hear me, you don't even have to have fear. Just know what this next verse says. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints. Look, according to the what? To the will of God. Here's what you can be confident of is that God will answer your prayers correctly because He will answer them according to His perfect will. And since God is perfect, He will work perfectly in your life. And yes, those prayers will be answered sometimes differently than you want or differently than you think they should, but verse 28 reminds us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, if you are a believer today, take a deep breath, because God loves you. Jesus intercedes. What we can take great confidence in is that God is working all things together for good if you love him and you are seeking his purpose for your life. And I will say sometimes the all things he is working together will be difficult things, but God is at work. So rest in the love of God and the knowledge that Jesus is interceding for you. Now one more thing. I want you to see this before I close, that God loves us and Jesus keeps us, okay? God loves us, and Jesus keeps us. Now, maybe there are some this morning that look at your life and say, God may have loved me at one time, but I don't think God loves me anymore. I mean, maybe life has gotten difficult, and because of that, you feel that God doesn't love you. I want to assure you that God never stops loving his followers. All right? God never stops loving his followers. In John 10, Jesus used the analogy of sheep to refer to those who believed in him and followed him. And here's what he said. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. What did Jesus say about those who are his? They will never perish, right? They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of his hands. In other words, once you belong to Jesus, he keeps you. Is that a good thought? It should be. Not only does he not cast you aside, no one or nothing can take you out of his hands. And just because you're facing difficulty does not mean you are no longer loved by God. Sometimes, in fact, when you follow God, it actually brings trouble because this world is opposed to God. And if you're gonna follow God, I'm here to tell you, sometimes that's gonna mean trouble. Paul, who wrote this letter, knew all too well about suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ and for doing the will of God. But even though he knew hardships as a believer, listen to these words he wrote to finish out this chapter, all right? All right. Listen to how he finishes out this chapter. Listen very closely to what he says. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I I can assure you today that God loves you and if you're in Christ Jesus will keep you. You, you can have assurance of God's love. You can have assurance of his work in your life daily as he intercedes, and you can be assured of this, that he is keeping you for heaven where one day you can be with him forever. Amen? Is that good news? In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand with me right now. Would you stand up? All right, and we stand together. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take confidence in a great God, and here's how we're gonna express it. You ready? You're gonna, you're gonna begin to, to sing, and I want you to sing this with me, All right. I don't know who's gonna start. Y'all might get me on the right, and I might get on the wrong note, right? Let's try this again, all right? I want you to know today, there's a blessed assurance in Jesus Christ. God loves you today. He is never going to stop loving you. God proved his love by sending Jesus. God today still loves you, and Jesus is interceding for you this very day, and I want you to know that God loves you, and he's gonna keep you to the very end. Today, there is assurance in Jesus Christ, amen?